welcome to This Girl Come, where we chat to wonderful women doing fabulous things in pharma. I'm Liv Nixon, and today I'm talking to Tony Ann Jennings, who is now the proud owner of her new company, Every Connection Counts. Tony's had a 30-year career in pharma, with leadership roles at organisations like AZ and Novartis under her belt. Last year, she decided to seize the moment, and she took the opportunity to go travelling with her husband for a year. Tony talks to me about the pivotal moment that made her and her husband finally take that leap and the bravery she's needed to harbour throughout her life, never more so than when setting up the business earlier this year. Tony's life experiences have shaped so clearly who she is today and the choices she's made. I found her utterly inspiring from the minute we first spoke. To say I was looking forward to this chat would most definitely be an understatement. So let's get going. Good morning, Tony. Hi. How exciting is this? <laughs> it's hugely exciting. I'm so glad you we finally did it. Oh, I know. Backwards and forwards quite a few times. I do feel like I finally achieved what my daughter will think is cool. I'm yes. on a podcast. Oh my God, that is so true. She this will. is a pivotal moment. <laughs> <laughs> there we go, we're straight in. <laughs> she will as well, actually, because when I first started doing the podcast, I told my daughter, Maisie, the eldest, that I was doing it. And she was at a sleepover the next weekend and she was playing her friends, the trailer. Oh, I love that. Well, I text my daughter. My daughter's 25 and lives in London. And I texted her this morning and said, can't talk, hun, doing a podcast. And she went, you've probably told me about four times. <laughs> so, yeah. OK, mum. I said, I backlit myself. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I've, I've seen it on telly. I know what to do. I know what to do. I'll be on TikTok by tonight, I promise you. Totally will. Right. Okay. So let's get into this. Tony, to kick us off, can you, for me, give me an overview of your career, personal and professional to date, and then we will dig into all sorts of different areas, if that's okay. Yeah, no problem at all. So I had the pleasure of hitting 50 last year and hitting almost 30 years. So next year is 30 years in the industry. And I joined in when I, you know, I was 21, 22 years old, when the industry was changing and they were bringing in lots of women in the industry. And there was a lot of, it was a very different world. There was yeah. lots of entertaining. There was lots of, you know, evening meals. There was lots of completely different world than we live in now. Yeah. Thank goodness. And I worked for a company called Asta Medica, which probably nobody's heard of. But I had a week or two weeks training course on three drugs. I'd never wow. sold a thing in my wow. life. So my mum was in the industry. My mum was a hospital rep really successful one so I thought how hard can this be if your mum can do it of course all all young people think they can do it gosh I was absolutely shocking I just I was shocking I've never been so scared in my life doing that job and then I went to Herx Marion Roussel and learned my trade learned how to sell and then over the years I've had some fabulous oh, just fabulous jobs probably one of my all-time favorites as a salesperson was selling vaccines for GSK that's when I started to see the reward and recognition and how it drove me to continue to be good at what I did and at that point during that time I had my baby so I just started with GSK after my maternity leave. So that was probably the most successful I'd been as a salesperson when I was at my most busiest. Yeah. I was 
building a house, had a baby that I was still nursing myself. I was working full time and I was the most successful I'd ever been as a rep. And I think it's because I genuinely was like, I can do this. I've just got to keep going. And then I became a, my first management role in my late 20s. So I was a rep on a Friday and a manager on a Monday. And that was with Lumbeck. I only left GSK because I really wanted a management role. And that was a two-year contract to learn to be a manager, which, again, I think it was like going back to being a rep. You didn't really know what you didn't know. I certainly didn't know how to be a leader at that point. Mm-hmm. It was definitely a manager. Yeah. And then I went to Sanofi as a manager and then ended up at AstraZeneca via being a regional account director for Takeda, which were really innovative roles of its time. I think Takeda were ahead of its time doing that, really disrupting, creative yeah. disruption of yeah. what normal can look like. 100% agree. Yeah. And then I went to AstraZeneca, which was mm-hmm. my all-time favourite place to be because it was, a, it was the opportunity to be a senior leader and learn how to lead big teams and bring in success against a brand that saved people's lives. So, I, I, yeah, I love that. And then we had some big redundancies at AstraZeneca and the head of business roles fell away. And I went to Novartis. <laughs> All these 30 years do sound quite busy, don't they? I'm exhausted just going through my career. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, so they went to Novartis and some business changes happened at Novartis. And I chose to go traveling during lockdown. And I decided that, I know we're going to maybe talk about that in a little bit, but I decided yeah. to stop and go and see the world. And then lockdown number two happened just as I was almost on a plane. Um, oh my God. So it's really interesting because when something like that happens and I had already resigned, ready to go because we were leaving for, for a year, it was absolutely the right thing to happen because I got the opportunity to go and train and coach and develop those skills that has ultimately ended up me starting Every Connection Counts, which is the company I, I run now. Yeah. And without that opportunity, I perhaps would have gone straight back into the more traditional route that I was in before, which was the leadership route. Yeah. Yeah. So that's Everything. that's my that's a very whistle stop tour of, of the last thirty years in in the industry. So talk to me a bit about I suppose the interesting piece for me is the of oh, let's start with your busiest period of time. When you return to work, you've just had your daughter, your nursing, your building a house, so juggling work-life balance to its absolute maximum. Where do you think we are now? So reflect back on those days versus some of your busier times now. Where do you think we are as, a, as an industry with helping women in that situation? You know, that's a really great question. I think at that time, I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm. So there was never, I never really thought that there was any way that the company had a responsibility to look after me it was I I, at that point I think I was very much about this is what I've chosen to do it's on you I have to give it my absolute all yeah because I don't have a degree so I got in the industry with no degree I have an MBA now I've you know I went on and did further education but I've always believed how unbelievably lucky I was to be here Mm -hmm. 
And so I think that at that time, I was still so very grateful to have my Rover 1.2, which I'm not going to lie, was the coolest car on the road. (laughs) And I was so unbelievably grateful to be in employment that in a job I loved. So Mm -hmm. I think that at the time, I can't remember really thinking, oh, my gosh, this is really hard or how am I going to balance everything? I just genuinely thought, right, how do I do this and what what bits must I deliver? And I think I just did. And I didn't really think about it. There were lots of mothers at that stage in my team because, as I said to you before, it was the time where they were just getting lots of salespeople in rather than people who had degrees in in healthcare and and equivalent degrees. If I reflect now, if I was doing it now, I think there is more support. Mm. There's more talking about the, the pressures that not just women are under. I think we're more conscious now than we've ever been yeah. about the balance. Yeah. I'm going to be controversial. And I think sometimes we talk so much out about making sure that balance is right, that we lose the ability to be able to say, I can do this. I can, you know, I, as long as we create the right environment, people will thrive. But sometimes I think we get to a point where we're trying to do something to show we're doing it as organisations and not necessarily thinking about the what's right for that individual, not necessarily what's right for everybody. Yeah. I think it's really hard. It's definitely yeah. hard as a leader to get that balance right. Yeah. I, I, somebody once said to me, somebody who worked for me, who's a, f- a fabulous guy, really, really focused hard on coaching his team and always was a uh, an RBM and always wanted to be an RBM because he said he made the biggest difference at that point and he said to me it's not my job to motivate you it's my job to create a motivating environment yeah and it really stuck with me about my job as a leader is to make the environment so passionate and motivating and it's your job within that environment to find what fits with you yeah, I think we've, you know, there are still a long way to go. I think there always will be. But I think it's not a destination we're going towards. It's just a journey we're all on yeah. trying to find the best way for individuals to be great. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So, yeah, I think it's very it's a different world. But I, I think I'd have been the same person. I would just got on with it. Yeah. So, OK, let's talk more recently then. Talk to me a bit about your decision when you decided to go travelling and the reasons behind that. Oh, God. Do you know, it's been, it, it, it's, I've always loved to travel. I, I have a real thing about seeing more. And it, it really, a pivotal moment in my life is I lost a, a very, very close friend of mine in lockdown. And uh, just before she died, we had a conversation about her wanting to see more, to experience more. And I think that it had a profound effect on me at that point. Because I'd spent my career, my wonderful, happy career, saying what's next? What's next for me? So I went to Novartis and I 
fabulous people I was working with. And quite quickly, it was like, so what's the next role for me? You know, mm-hmm. where am I going to? How am I getting there? What do I need to do? And I kind of had this this hunch in the gut, which said to me, it's not what's next. It's what else. It's not what's ahead of you that is so important. It's what's happening now that is more important. And I, I have such a desire to have the optimum impact I can have wherever, whatever I'm doing. The air had gone out of my gut and said, but unless you take the time to understand what it is you love, what it is that gives you real passion and drive, you mm. won't be working at the optimum level you, you need to work at. So once I'd made the decision, I remember I was making a decision on a Tuesday morning. It was in sort of February, March time last year. And I walked into the office of my husband, who also works at home, and said, we're going to do that trip. And we're going to do it in October this year. And his answer was, yep, that sounds good. Fab. Okay. And so within maybe four weeks, I'd resigned. I'd been working, as I say, I was a vice president in a training company that I was really developing my coaching and training skills. They were really enthusiastic for me and understanding. And I I went and I I kind of put my mate in my pocket and said, right, well, you're going to have to see more through me. So I did. I went and saw 13 countries in six months, swam with sharks, climbed the world's biggest active volcano, slept in the desert. And I had the immeasurable good fortune to take that time to just, yeah, to just be authentic Tony and not worry about anything for just six months of my life and to genuinely reflect on what I wanted to be, who I wanted to be in the third third of my life. Because that's what I'm in. I'm in the third third. And if I'm going to have maximum impact, I'm going to have to make sure I know what it is that I want to do. Yeah. Oh, Liv, it was just the most amazing thing in the world. It was just, I can't, it's just, I, I can't even put it into words how I came home a, fundamentally, yeah, with a different view. Yeah. So just, reflect with me how it changed you, if you can. That's quite an ask, isn't it? But yeah. maybe paint um, me a picture of Tony before and Tony now. I think that Tony before, as I said, was just looking forward, constantly wanting to know what was next. I I love my industry and I have been so fortunate to be led by amazing people. There's a particular lady, Leslie Beer, she's retired now from AstraZeneca. She was my boss at AstraZeneca when I first arrived. And she was somebody who saw something in me that said, you can be, you can go further. And she nurtured me and she supported me. She gave me this amazing privilege to be able to do the role she did. But after a while, you get to a point where it's like, I really want everyone to be the best they can be. So what's next for me? How do I get higher? And then I can do more. And I found that over the time, it was like, actually, I think I've reached the place that I'm the happiest. I love being able to coach and influence and, and help people add value and be their best versions of themselves. But I was exhausted 
and I was a, I was constantly thinking about how do I get better how do I help others get better and I think I got to a point where it was like I don't know how to be me anymore I've forgotten how to take the joy out of mm-hmm. everything I do and so having that time away and having the unbelievable privilege of spending it with the man I'd chosen to live with for the rest of my life we just yeah we just stopped and we laughed and laughed and asked questions of people around the world about what makes them happy and 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 what how do they measure their happiness how do they measure their success you know i i was in the galapagos on a boat this guy he took a boat from when you fly in the galapagos there's an island you land on mm-hmm. then you take a bus to it's there's a canal it isn't a canal it's a it's a sea but it's a canal space between one island and another and this guy spends his day taking tourists and scientists because it's the galapagos backwards and forwards it takes 10 minutes I got chatting to him and said, yeah, this is this, this a bit boring, going backwards and forwards all day. <laughs> and he said, I've got sea lions and I've got the sea, I've got the sun. I meet endless different nationalities of people. I get to meet all these different people on their adventures and learn for 10 minutes about each other's adventures how could that be boring? Mm. And it just suddenly realised it was like, because I just assumed going backwards and forwards is that you've got to move on, you've got to move on, what's next? And actually, it completely disrupted how I thought. And I was like, I just want to stay on this boat and talk to all the people and be curious. Um, (laughs) I think it changed me because it stopped me thinking there's only one way of doing anything you know that I'm going to continue to be a senior until I retire and then I I find some other passion well I'm going to have some passion now enjoy it and my company is enabling me to do that and then yeah I'll combine it with my work so it's changed me it's just it's having the time to think about it how many of us stop and say am I truly giving my optimum impact yeah. And that doesn't mean how many hours in the day you work, because no. that's changed. That's fundamentally changed from when I was, you asked me the question about when I when I was at my busiest, when I was in my mid-twenties. What has fundamentally changed in our industry is the time expected to be at work. I coach some quite senior people in big organisations, and the thing they tell me time and time and time again is they are getting text messages on a Sunday. They are getting WhatsApp requests on a Saturday evening. God. Friday nights, they're still still getting emails. That is fundamentally going to break the people who give the most in our industry. So we have to give them time. They don't have to go on a six-month trip around the world, but they <laughs> maybe do have to play rugby in the garden with their boys or take the dog yeah. for a walk. 
That's so interesting. It's the fact that it's at that senior leadership level where it's happening the most, because we are now yeah. as a nation since COVID, maybe even before then, so respectful of, you know, you see it on everybody's email signatures, don't you? I don't expect you to work the hours I work. People are so aware of that. And I wonder if that is the case. Clearly not from what you're saying when you get more into those senior leadership roles where the expectation is almost you're here for this. That's what you sign up for. I think we're forming habits that we are unsure of how to break because this, because we live in a much more competitive world than we've ever lived in, in every aspect of our lives. How we look, how we behave, we're expected to be the best versions of ourselves at all times. And I think that we spend a lot of time getting to senior levels we spend a lot of energy and drive and stress to get to that level. So to be, to, yeah, we need to have more difficult conversations to say, I'm here and to be my maximum, to, to give optimum impact. I need to be able to have the time to reflect on whether going backwards and forwards on that boat is adding value. To anybody else. And I think that we find that difficult to have those levels because everybody else is doing it. Everybody else is working long hours. So, do you want to be the one that says, I'm going home because it's the right time for me to go home and, and be present yeah. in, uh, in the other parts of our lives? I don't think that's a female thing. No. But it is a, it is industry wide. Yeah, it's so true. So you referred before to your husband and I happen to know that it's quite an interesting story of when you met and getting married. So so tell me a bit about that because it's a great story. I, the people who know me obviously know this story and I think if you ever want to have an idea of what I was like in my 20s and I, actually I don't think people fundamentally change that much. So yeah, I met my husband in a nightclub in Birmingham a nightclub called Money Pennies for those from <laughs> Birmingham. You'll remember it if you're old. And <laughs> I met him on the Saturday. And by the Tuesday, I had uh, I had finished quite a long-term relationship and asked him to marry me. <laughs> uh, I did have to ask him again so that he knew I was serious. But I, I did. I, I married him very quickly after a bottle of Jack Daniels in Las Vegas wearing wow. black in Spanish Amazing. and I didn't speak Spanish but I didn't want to understand what I was actually saying nobody knew so we came back to the UK married still in shock I feel I feel there was some shock <laughs> and so we didn't tell anybody for about a week my parents knew my poor poor parents knew <laughs> I'm the baby and the only girl so they didn't get to see me get married oh my dad seemed quite pleased he didn't have to pay for it though so that that wasn't too bad because uh, a whole wedding cost 60 quid yeah Brilliant. 60 quid and that was including the limousine and the bottle of jack daniels um <laughs> but yeah so i've been married 30 years next year that's amazing i don't recommend it kids <laughs> don't <laughs> do this at if home my daughter did i'd kill her <laughs> don't do this at home people the reason I wanted you to tell the story wasn't just to, not just for a laugh, because it, it is a great story. But I do think it ties in. You said it yourself that people don't actually fundamentally change. 
and Maybe. your decision to take time. I think even back in those days, you appreciated the importance of time. That's That would be my learning yeah. from that story. Would that be fair? Yeah, and I think I think you're absolutely right. I I um, am okay with taking risks as long as I've really thought them out. Mm-hmm. And you might think, well, actually, that doesn't sound like you really thought that out. Well, I've been married nearly thirty years, so I did give it enough thinking to know that this was the right person to move forward in it through my life. And he's been the most amazing husband in my career. I have travelled extensively. When I was at AstraZeneca for a decade, I literally was away Tuesday to Thursday night. So he didn't see me as often as most. I wasn't a particular, I've got horses. So I had horses in the garden. I've got a husband with a baby and trying to run his own business. And I'm like, I'm off. So this was the right man for me. Absolutely. Without a shadow of a doubt. And so I did, I do take calculated risks, but I will take risks because my fear is I'll have a life half lived if I don't. So I encourage the people who work for me and with me to take risks and to to be innovative and not be scared, because if you're scared, you will live a life half lived in a in your career, especially. Sometimes you've got to push yourself into situations that are uncomfortable. Sometimes you've got to take a risk with a customer that you're, you think, what if I lose this relationship? Yeah. But then if you lose a relationship from a challenging conversation, you didn't have a foundation that potentially is where you thought it was anyway. So yeah. I am very much about, come on, let's just try things. And I think that my marriage or my proposal to him was very much around what's the worst that could happen. <laughs> now, I realise now in my 50s, there's probably quite a lot that could have happened. But in my 20s, I was this gloriously energetic, happy person who just went, I'm sure it'll be fine. Why not? We'll make it what work. the hell? And it's interesting, right? Because just to give you a bit of information about my daughter, my daughter works in healthcare political PR. She works in policy change. And all through her life, I've written her little notes that say, be brave. And that's, I've always said it to her. When she was at university and I would leave her, I'd put under her pillow, be brave, in a lunchbox, be brave. Nothing else, just be brave. And she has it now tattooed on her hip in my handwriting. So I wrote it out and it was fine line tattooed on her hip be brave. Because if I can empower somebody to be brave, fundamentally, whatever it looks like to you, you will succeed in whatever it looks like to you. So if you want to travel more, be brave. Mm -hmm. When I landed in Santiago and I was told by the hotel, you can't go out the door. It's too dangerous on a Sunday because there's not enough people around. It was like, I want to go back to New Zealand where it's really, really safe and I can just swim in the lakes and be, but it's like, be brave because the best opportunities come when you're brave. Wow. So I, my daughter walks around with my handwriting on her hip. She'll always have it there. So it doesn't matter where I am in the world. She knows that's what I'm going to keep saying to her. And I think that's why I got married really quickly because I'm brave. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. 
That's one of the one of the questions I I often ask is what advice you you what advice would you give either your younger self or a younger version of you now? And I think you've just articulated that perfectly. I think also I think I would definitely give myself the advice when you realise people don't actually care that much about I don't a wrong word actually people don't talk about you as often as you think so run your own race be authentic be kind mm-hmm. be brave and if you get the opportunity to make somebody else feel fabulous do it because I spent too much time worrying about what people thought of me when I was younger which I think a lot of young women do yeah. And actually, when you realise that people talk about you much less than you realise, it's quite empowering. Yeah, um, that's so true. Yeah. So I've got a couple of other topics that I want to touch on with you. And it, and we've sort of hovered around it. But tell me a little bit about how you articulate success. I think I used to articulate success on whether I had achieved a particular role or project. Like I'm successful because I'm able to influence others. That's how I used to view success when I was younger. Mm -hmm. Success to me now is more of a feeling. It's more of a reaction to a day or to a project Because I've chosen to step away from title and to position more into what does the, what does, what do I add? What value? How do I feel about what I'm doing? I feel successful when I've achieved something that makes me feel good. And I think that's come with age. I really do. I think I'm, I love being early fifties. I love it. I feel like I've just I feel like I've got so much more empowerment to do what makes me happy and what effect I can have on others. And so success to me looks like this now. It looks like owning my own environment. Yeah. Okay, so let's flip it. What does failure look like to you? I tend to fail when I cannot physically communicate anymore. Failure to me is when I lose it, when I just get so frustrated that I can no longer affect how somebody thinks. It's a bit like losing your cool to a three-year-old. Yeah. So I've lost it. If I'm screaming, I've lost it. So that to me is, uh, yeah, because I don't really see failure as failure. If you're a risk taker, you have to be able to eliminate the bits that aren't working really well quickly yeah otherwise you'll stop taking risks somebody said it was probably Stephen Bartlett or somebody who I follow on podcasts etc failure is something that just didn't work which I think is a really nice way of articulating it because it is again it's about that bravery piece I suppose isn't it tried that it didn't work try something else there's a reason that didn't work let's find the reason move on and so I just think it's healthier much healthier. Mm. It's like when you fail at a diet. You don't fail at a diet. You just want your cake. <laughs> Analyze it. Move on. <laughs> Eat the cake. Move on. Damn good cake. And those who know me know I love cake. 
I ate Victoria sponge this weekend. I made it with my daughter. We entered it into the school fairs bake-off and we didn't win. We did not win because I severely underestimated the level of entrance that were going to be at a school fair. (laughs) (laughs) My my Victoria's fun. It was not quite at the level needed. However, I did enjoy eating it. I went, so my my baby went to quite a a big independent school that was very, very uh, competitive and didn't know that at the time when we took her in. But it was a fabulous school and she loved it. But I was the parent who slowed her car down and kicked her child out while it was still moving because I had to get to work. (laughs) And uh, so I severely underestimated if there was anything that a parent had to provide for the school, just the level of competition that went on. And my my, Tammy used to come home to me and was like, Mum, I need an Easter bonnet. And I'd be like, right, just get me a bucket and a feather. (laughs) <laughs> you are a beautiful child. Be brave. <laughs> I was terrible, honestly. Terrible. How she became a success, and she is. She's fabulous. Right, where are we? So I have one more question to ask you before we go, if that's okay. And it's the classic yeah. question that I ask everyone, and you did refer to one pivotal moment earlier. But So have you seen the Sliding Doors movie? I have. I can't remember masses about it, but I have seen it. I mean, it's yeah, it's donkeys ago, isn't it? But essentially, the, the question that I ask everybody is, what was your sliding doors moment? If you remember on the movie, she misses the train, and that's why she goes back to her house, yeah. and she catches her husband, and then her whole life plays out completely differently to how it would have done if she'd caught the train that day. So, so my question is, do you have a sliding doors moment or one that you can summarise for me? No, and I will go back to walking through a crowded nightclub and the man I chose to spend the rest of my life with coming the opposite direction when I'd already planned my life with somebody else, mm-hmm. with a different world, a different environment. And if I hadn't met him... I wouldn't be the risk taker that I am today. I wouldn't be the mother that makes me more proud of anything I've ever done in my entire life. I wouldn't have had a career that has lasted 30 years and, and has given me so much joy because I'd ha- I wouldn't be able to have travelled like I've travelled. And I wouldn't have sat on the top of a mountain in New Zealand with with him saying, I'm the luckiest woman alive for having the opportunity to do it. So it has to be him. And I wish that it it was a more powerful women message. But I suppose that it comes from choose right, choose well, and enjoy the ride. I will leave it at that and say a huge thank you for coming on the show, making me personally appreciate life in a completely different way you did it when we first spoke and you've done it again today you've really made me see things differently which I know is is your whole thing so you are clearly very good at inspiring people to do things differently and feel differently about what they do so that's my little thank you to you and thanks for taking the time to come and be awesome on this show 
Oh, Liv, you know what you're doing, giving the opportunity for women to just come and talk about what makes them happy just fills me with so much joy. So thank you so much and for making me cool and letting <laughs> me be on a podcast. You are so welcome. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. And that's it for another episode. Thank you so much for listening. You can learn more about Tony's company, Every Connection Counts, by heading to our website, everycc.co.uk. You can also check the show notes to this episode to read a little of what they're all about or just get in touch with Tony via LinkedIn. She does love to chat. Don't forget, you can now also join This Girl Cam as a member where you'll get invited to join recording sessions, regular mentions on the show and discounted or free tickets to our live events. To find out more, head to patreon.com forward slash thisgirlcam. Finally, go to thisgirlcam.com to subscribe to this show and get notified first about every new episode. You can also find each interview I've done in print and find out who my guest is for the following week. Follow me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook, all under This Girl Cam. Thanks again, everyone. Bye for now. Bye.